Lord, we just thank you that you love us unconditionally and you love us um, in a way that's so powerful that uh, you can break any barrier, any distance, anything that's, uh, that we feel could stop you from loving us, from, that could stop you from getting to us and rescuing us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you indeed reign and that you are so powerful that uh, you could win the hearts of rebels. Lord, that um, we've all been in rebellion. We've ran away from you. We've run from your truth. Um, we've lived carelessly and foolishly, and we've lived in self-indulgence. Uh, Lord, we have, we have found ourselves in dark places. And Lord, but your light, it shines in the depth of the darkness that uh, we've ever been in. And you seek us. And sometimes we even shun you, even when you've come to find us. And Lord, we throw our hands and we throw our lives up in temper tantrums. But Lord, I just ask that you would once again win over our rebellion and cause these rebels to be worshipers. That you, Holy Spirit, would transform us through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the bloodshed at Calvary. I ask, Lord, that we would come to you, that we would seek you, that we would no longer deny you, that we would no longer sit in pride and arrogance and self-worth, and self-empowerment, Lord, that we would see that we have nothing without you. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would take um, us and continue to refine us. Let us be a community that proclaims your freedom to captives, to our friends, to our neighbors that are chained down in sin. But first, we must hear the message, Lord. First, we must be free men and women. And so, God, I just ask that once more that you would um, take us and move us and renew our minds so that we would conform to your Son, Father. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We invite you not just for uh, a little bit. We invite you for a whole lot, an overflowing of your power. We ask, Lord, as each one of us sit here, that you would indeed fill us up. Whatever levels, wherever people are at, that you have plenty. You have plenty to give once who people who are enemies, your children. Lord, I pray for the ones who do not yet know you. I thank you that this is a place where people can come with unbelief and doubt and hindrances and experiences that have, that have crushed us, which make us afraid to walk in an invisible faith, knowing that you will show. And so, Lord, we pray that there will be next steps for people, that your word would not return void this morning, that we would be humble before your word. We love you so very much, God. We look forward to seeing what you have to say to us so that we can... Allow your power to change our lives. Thank you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to welcome you here. My name is Sean, and uh, I get to do a lot of the preaching here. And um, we're going to hear from the Bible. And I just want to remind you of something. I, every once in a while, I, I forget. 
Uh, I'll read stories, and, and during the, uh, the sermon, I'll be going over and through the Scripture, and sometimes it seems like people from a long time ago, and it's like, that seems like there's a distance there of, um, and a hindrance of how it could actually apply to us today. And, um, and so I've been praying this week that we would really see the Scripture, and that, that this Scripture indeed would just land on us, and land in our hearts, and... and um, that we would square up with it. And so I'm just kind of asking you to, to maybe allow God to, to bring a boldness to you today, that, that you would be willing to, to sit still as, as God speaks and, and comes into areas of our life that, that perhaps um, we didn't know He would. And uh, I, I think there's always um, a beautiful risk in putting ourselves before God um, we, it, I say beautiful because we view it as a risk and sometimes we're afraid, um, but God has good things for you. And I just want to remind you that even though there's tough things and challenges and sometimes chaos and struggle, that God uses those things and He refines you. And so I just want to remind you right out of the gate that, that God is an encouragement, that God is for us, okay? Uh, today's message, um, it's... It's, uh, it's pretty hardcore. It's, it's, uh, if you're looking to see if, if things matter in life, then, uh, then I think that's what today's message is going to show us. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to tell you just a little story, um, very little story. Yesterday, I went skating with my 16-year-old son, and uh, I don't get to skate as often as I'd like to, and so it starts out usually with frustration, because I'm like, (sighs) we're not talking roller skating, by the way, in case you're visualizing us roller skating, going backwards, doing all the tricky moves. No, we're talking about skateboarding, so we went down to our buddy's warehouse, who's got this really gorgeous skate ramp that really isn't the adjective that most skaters would use like this is gorgeous I love your skate ramp it's just this really great place that's lots of fun okay so you get on and you start skating and you realize how sore you've been or uh, the tricks that you can no longer do or whatever but we're having a lot of fun and just kind of blowing out with um, our brother Dom there and and uh, just really I was just really enjoying myself yesterday was so gorgeous and this warehouse has this big door, and it looks out onto the river and looks over um, by the St. John's Bridge, and you can see all the trees, and it's just like one of those moments. It was, just, it was just beautiful. And so we're having this great time, and we get in the car, and I'm like, you know, uh, I said to my son, I said, I said that, guy, that guy's a bro. I go, it's just nice hanging out with Dom. He's a, he's a bro. And so we go driving up, and we're going to go home, and and uh, we decided to get a couple drinks at, at McDonald's because we're exhausted. So we go through the drive-thru, and then um, we see uh, a guy named Dave. And um, we're like, you know, we stop and we start talking to Dave and, and um, just have this short conversation. And, uh, and then we pull away. And so we, we were just with Dom, and then we were with Dave. And, and um, I said, you know, I, I like that guy. And so my son, I'm, I'm like, he's a bro. And uh, so my son's kind of hearing this theme, right? He's like, bros. Okay, dad likes bros. And he, so my son says this to me. He goes, uh, he goes, you know, dad, it seems like you like guys that would win a fight. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. You kind of like guys that would, that would win in a fight. 
Well, I kind of thought about that, and um, I don't know if that's true, because I like all kinds of people, people that may not win fights. But, uh, but I do know this, that I really enjoy being around people that strive and that work hard and that persevere spiritually. That can be a man or a woman. I like to be with people that are moving forward, sometimes even when it's tough. I like to be with battlers. I like to be with people who have a story to say, here's what God's doing, here's how this is rolling for me, this isn't so easy, but I'm also praising God in this way. And I think throughout Philippians, we've seen this kind of lifestyle where people are advancing and partnering in the gospel, and they're standing and they're striving and they're moving forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And I see these kinds of relationships. And uh, sometimes we've noticed there's a correlation with sacrifice, and, and with sacrifice comes joy. And it seems like where the greater the sacrifice is, the greater the And so uh, I think I, I'm addicted to that lifestyle. I think that's the lifestyle that Jesus Christ laid down for us is the sacrifice so that we would see the joy that he delivers. And we talked about you really can't fabricate that. You can't live that. You can't choose to just go, you know what, I'm just going to have this incredible amount of joy. I'm just going to walk into something from heaven because I'm going to orchestrate something. Now, this life that we're talking about is a life of faith in Jesus Christ where you walk and you follow and you're following Him. And you're sometimes going, are you sure you want to go there, Jesus? Are you sure you want us to go there as you follow? And maybe you're leading other people. And, 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 and all of a sudden, every once in a while, in the journey, there's this thing called sacrifice where Jesus says, it's time to give up this. You've got to give this up. And then when you do and you walk like five more steps, then all of a sudden He just delivers the goods and you're like, compared to what you wanted me to give up, what you have given me far surpasses anything that I wanted to hold for myself. And this life that we're seeing in the book of Philippians is absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculously radical. It is not of this culture. It is not of this world. It is only of God. Let's look at more of it. Let's turn to Philippians 2. See a little bit more of the story. When my son said that, I was thinking about, I think that I, I, I like to be around people that would lay it on the line. I like to be with people that when they see a goal or that they see something needs to happen, that they're the type of people that would do whatever it took to make it happen. And so let me ask you this question because it's, it's, it's really not something that I like. You're not here to listen to Sean Garman's preferences. You're here to, to uh, be called into a lifestyle. It's an invitation that God has for you that is, that is different, that is real, that is more meaningful and purposeful than anything else that you've ever been offered. And going back to the sacrifice, would you lay it on the line? I, I want to ask you this question. If you're a note taker, then I, I'd like you to write this down. Do you love God so much that you would die for the sake of others? Don't answer that. Just write it down. 
love God so much that you would die for the sake of others? I'll even make the sentence a little longer because there's kind of a little kick here. Do you love God so much that you would die for the sake of others in the name of Jesus Christ? Not just some ordinary, I'm going to sacrifice my life, and yeah, I would die for my friends, but would you consider loving God so much that you would sacrifice your life for the benefit of others in the name of Jesus Christ? Sometimes when we get called into following Jesus, we weigh these costs, and we do this very often. I, I, I think it's a calculation and it's a mode in our minds that we do much more than we uh, are aware of at times. We, we're constantly calculating a risk versus benefit, a cost-benefit analysis of if I do this, what will I get? If I do this, what will I get? And with God, it's, He works so upside down in His economy of the way that benefit, blessing, and reward happens that, that we, we walk and by faith He says, sacrifice this, and we hear no guarantee. And we beg God for a deal. If I do that, won't you do this? If I do this, won't you do that? I know you're calling me to this, but in order for me to do that and close this deal, I need you to do this, God. When I came to this neighborhood, and now it's been almost 12 years. The church now is seven years old, but when God called us into this mission, um, there's been countless times where I've ended up in places that I felt like I could lose my life. Following a heroin addict that you love, that you know Jesus loves, and looking for Him when you, when you cannot find Him in the neighborhood, and knocking on doors that are dark, where heroin dealers live, and finding yourself in the middle of a living room going, hey, is Joe here? What do you want with Joe? As people are lighting up crack pipes, and you see needles, and you're in the middle of a drug house, and you're like, really? Like, should I be here? Or when your neighbors are fighting at four in the morning over $400 because one of them wants to spend it on drugs and you're out there with your neighbor at four in the morning in the middle of a fight. They're not able to hit each other, of course. The middle area takes the punches. Do you sign up for that? Is that everybody's role? I don't think it's everybody's role. But what are the ways that would make your heart beat and pump and go, am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to be in this spot? This is highly risky for me, whoever you are. It doesn't have to be physical at all. You can find yourself in a conversation listening to someone and going, and I have no clue on as to how I will help you, but I have this to risk for this relationship. But I have this to give you. Last week, before we get into the Scripture and stand in and, and reverence to the Word of God, last week the, the Scriptures had said, I think in light of, of all that God is, is calling us to, He says, are we grumbling 
Are we murmuring together? Are we a house of grumbling and murmuring as we are a community that lives this life with Jesus? Because he basically says, if you're a house of murmuring and a house of grumbling, you cannot be a house of light. And we said earlier in 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13, earlier in the same chapter, that's a process. So as God's moving us from our grumbling, as God's moving us from our complaining, so that we can be a part of uh, the house of light, which we passed out uh, coffee last week, and we, we lit some candles to, to remind us of that. But the image that has struck with me all during the week is this one. As Paul says, are you a people that are holding steady the word of life, the gospel? Is this what you have for your neighbors? Is this what you have for those you love? Is this what you have for those? And he even t- he takes it from culture. He knows his culture. So when he's speaking to them, he's like, you know, the way a good host solidly puts the very best, the purest wine out for his guests. Like, damn, I love you so much. The very best. And he, that's what the word of life is. That's what the gospel is. And so here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that there's this, there's this pleasure that Paul has in speaking to the Philippians and, and Paul is, is working with them and he's speaking about this joy and this sacrifice and he's getting them once again as the epistles do brings us right back to the gospel and partnering with each other and standing and striving for this life as we all follow Jesus. And he's, he's confronting us at times. He's exhorting and admonishing us saying, hey, keep this in mind. Don't be grumbling. Let's make some progress here. Let's put the best out for our neighborhood. Let's put the best out for our neighbors, our family, our friends, and for each other. And so today, we're about to read where he's going to talk about what does it mean to live that way in servanthood. And he's, going, he's not purposely all the time, although he's very aware of the example that he is, he's going to speak of himself as a servant. He's going to speak of two other men, and we're going to see a little bit of their stories and a little bit of the nuance of who they are. And you're going to find out that not all of them are the ones who find themselves in a heroin house. Not all of them are going to be guys that find themselves in the middle of a fight. That This isn't just about guys. This is about serving Christ the King. Will you stand as we read this Scripture? We'll be in Philippians 2, and where we left off was uh, 16, so we'll start at 17. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Even, this is Paul speaking, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the Gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister in my need. For he's been longing for you all and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only in him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For, the, for, they, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You may be seated. In verse 17 and 18, he's talking about himself, and he says there's a sacrificial drink offering. Let me tell you what would come to their mind as an illustration is when he's saying a sacrificial drink offering, he's saying this. He's, he's seen this cup filled with animal blood. And the people are seeing this animal blood sacrifice from history. And they're seeing it filled. And, and, and the deal is, is it's not just something cheap. Like I kind of think about uh, like beer commercials. When you see these cups that are overflowing, when you see like the beer just coming in off of the... It's, it's kind of doing its own move here, but the, the beer, when it comes down into the cup, and it just flies out, and you're like, yes. Beer. You know, and you're like, that's fragrant, and I don't even drink that beer, but it looks good. And you're like, okay, where is he going with this? That is beer. This is sacrificial blood. The blood, in order for it to get into this cup, an animal has been sacrificed and killed, and, and you know what a bloody mess that is. And, and so all of the blood that they collect, he says, I'm a sacrificial offering, and may I be poured out for you. And here's what he's getting here. When there was a sacrificial fire, when they were killing these animals, they would take these animals and they would burn. There would be a fire and then they would burn fat away, and they would burn impurities away. And then the priest would take this blood, and sometimes even water and honey, but it would be so hot, sometimes they would pour that blood or that honey and, and um, water back over the fire, and so that it would create a fragrance that, that ultimately the symbolism would be that this sacrifice to atone for sins, this meaningful death, of this animal, may it be fragrant to you and into the nostrils of God. That God would see that, that life must be sacrificed in order to please Him. That the blood must be shed and, and atoned so that God would be pleased that the sins and the transgressions against Him would be counted. That His accounting and His wrath would be appeased. And so Paul is saying this to these people. Check this out. I love you so much 
that I hope that you can see my life as a sacrificial offering. And so they're all like, oh yeah, that you would be poured out, that you would be broken, that, that maybe to the point of your death, as you're in prison, of you, as you've done so many things for us, as you planted our church in Philippi 10 years earlier, that you, Paul, would be there as that offering that even in your death, as in your life, you have sacrificed, and it has been fragrant. And we understand that that is the way of life that you're calling us to. And he is saying, victory. May I die for your victory. Look at this, this verse. He says, this sacrifice offering, he's not like, so that God will think I'm a swell guy. You know, I'm going to do a few nice things here. And you guys, I'm going to get real hyperbole here. I'm going to act like I die for you. So even if I'm a drink offering... He's not doing it to point to himself. He's saying, I want to do this for your faith. He's saying, you see me as I'm willing to be dead in the name of Christ, the way that our Savior lived for you. I too want to live this way. And when that drink offering goes down and that smoke arises, I want to pump you up to live this way for God. That's what he's saying. <laughs> here we are, we're at distant point. It's like, well, we don't kill animals here. And we're not doing fragrant offerings into the nostrils of God recently, but we are. God is going, in 2010, you must ask yourself, when have you been poured out for another? When has your sacrifice led to faithfulness of others? When do you have them in mind? See, these actions of God, they're, they're really difficult on our 99% of activity for ourselves. We spend lots of time thinking about ourselves and calculating our, our life, but to be a broken sacrifice for someone else means you're exhausted of yourself. You're quite over yourself. You're willing to look like a fool. You're willing to be stripped of the identities that are of this world that have been attributed to you. You live in Christ Jesus. You don't live of this world. You do not mask yourself in the pleasures of this world that people would say, I like him because he's a cool dude and he gets the right music and he wears the right clothes and he says the right things and he drives the right stuff and he goes to the right places. No, because of Christ Jesus and you live for him and him alone, that you would have others' benefits and welfare in mind as you die to yourself for others, that is a message for today. That sounds like a bummer. Dying to myself again. Does God not like me? Why do I have to take the fall? Why does God put me in the situations where it's going to cost me more? If you are asking yourself that question, then you have not had the joy that Paul is speaking about that you receive when you do sacrifice. And I would like to be an encouragement to you to say, God has asked me to sacrifice in my adult temper tantrums many times, and the joy that he gives me to sacrifice for others is ridiculous and uncomparable to anything I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And some of you are wagging your heads. I have been there. God has asked the impossible of me. God has asked me to do things I did not have the power to do, yet he saw fit in his mercy to give to me more life than I ever had. 
That's a message for today. Today's challenge on the surface says, oh, you want me to sacrifice my life for the welfare of somebody else? Yes, indeed. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is the life that we live, we stand for. God has... It is a blessing to live and to die for Jesus Christ. I believe it is a disgrace to live and die for yourself in the economy of the kingdom of God. That's why we travel together is because we're all learning how to become selfless. God puts you together with a bunch of people because they have to become your concern. The more you have of people in your life and the more your lives become interwoven, right? That famous word shalom, peace, as peace is interwoven, as we find peace with one another because our lives and our experiences continue to grow and weave together, God says, this is the tapestry that glorifies me when you're woven together, when you are together. And God says, it is those tight quarters, it is that knitting in that He does here first. You must experience Him knitting into your being his dwelling for you to appreciate and to have the power to dwell with one another. Remember, Paul's in prison. I think he's actually stoked because he, he may think that death is a foregone conclusion. He wants to see Jesus. but he wants to fuel them on these Philippians. He wants to continue to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to continue following his Savior. Is that a thirst of ours to follow the liberating King? Do we truly want to be used as missionaries here in Portland by the power of Jesus Christ to free others? Well, that's what this is about. This isn't just a proclamation to go, hmm, very curious, interesting, the sacrificial fact. It's fascinating. God's saying, no, in your real life, will you follow me to release others? Would you be used even in what you do not know? In the lack of your faith? Even with your foolishness, would you be used for my kingdom? You know, it's a really simple thing. Uh, Royce talked about being a servant. And uh, how does this become sacrificial at times? Um, we say, okay, well... Sacrifice is connected to joy, so the amount of sacrifice sometimes represents the amount of joy we have. But I just want to give you a very practical way that you could possibly give more than you take. Because this is a life of these two Ps, so there's, there's perseverance, not preservation. So we have an event called Trash to Treasure that's coming up. It's a very, very simple way to live the Gospel. 
It's a very simple way to come here on one weekend and to put something of great value out so that your neighbors would receive something and you take something of lesser value. That we would be intentional about giving up more of ourselves. In this case, giving up some material or consumeristic value so that someone else could see that there's a greater value in that. Can you imagine? I've already had people talking in the community about how great it was that they could come and get something. A vacuum cleaner or whatever. But can you imagine if we conspired in this way, this very small way that Paul is saying, give up of yourself. Become sacrificial in your giving, in your offering. And see what God would give back. That's a very simple way to do that with the trash to treasure. Let's look at Timothy. So if you're a note taker, verses 17 to 18 is about Paul. And Paul I've named the drink of delight. Because Paul, when he's that that drink offering and he's poured out, he finds delight in the way that it will serve his brothers and sisters. The other type of servant that gets profiled here in verses 19 through 24 is Timothy. I've said that Timothy's the real deal. You know what he says there? He says, he is one of a kind. I have no other like him. That's outlandish thing to say about somebody. In all of Rome, Paul, you have nobody else like Timothy? No. None. He's in the same mind, the same spirit as I. I got this yesterday from a guy that we sent from here. And some of you have heard me talk about a guy named Rob. And we're planting a church with Rob and a guy named Mike Crawford in Baltimore. So when you give here, there's always a portion that we slice off as an offering, just as a community. So as each individual, as we come in here and we offer, there's forms off of our budget, and we hope that that will increase and increase more, that we will be sacrificial and we'll be able to offer more out towards the expansion of the gospel. But right now, we're planting a church in Baltimore, Maryland, which desperately needs a church that understands the gospel. This is an email that I got from the leader there about the guy that we sent to him. And I just want to read some of this to you. He says this about Rob. First, he brings a heart for God and his mission to Freedom Church. That's the name of their church is Freedom. This is huge for our city and a Reformation piece that has served our city well. Second, he brought the threefold mission of Red Sea. Draw to Christ, develop in community, deploy to culture. This has been extremely useful to us. Third, he's brought leadership gifts to the table. This fills freedom out and compliments me very well. Fourth, he brings his wife Beth, who runs our Freedom Kids Ministry. I know she helped you guys get your kids ministry set up, and ours as well is well on its way to blessing kids and bringing forth glory to God. Fifth, he brings a family that loves God and bears the marks of one that has been poured into by Red Sea. A solid family on mission for Jesus is beastie in this city due to all the brokenness. I appreciated the beastie boy reference there. Sixth, and certainly not last, but you said, oh, and certainly not last, he has brought two churches together freedom and red sea to join jesus on his mission to reach the city of baltimore love mike 
It's a culture of sending and receiving within God's people. You can hear that in these guys. Um, These three guys have this geographic place that they descend upon that they love. They have a love for Philippi and the church there. They have a willing sacrifice for the people that are there. In fact, they desire to be them, be with them, these three leaders. And so you'll hear leaders have a, a desire to be in a, a particular place because God calls us not only to Himself, He calls us to His mission, and He'll call us to cities. The thing you need to think about is, do you see a long-term picture? These guys have been developing Philippi and had a heart for Philippi at the point of this letter for 10 years. Would you commit to your city? Would you make a commitment to your city to go, I will stay in this city. Some say, by far one of the most godless cities, one of the ones that have turned their back on the gospel of Jesus, and there is no culture of Christ following per se. Would you remain in this dark place as light for our city? And, and that's what we see in them. And, and that's part of the reason we sent, we sent Rob back is because Rob would always talk with affection towards the city he came from. But it wasn't just because he wanted to go back home. It's because God placed that love for that city. He would have stayed here. So Paul is saying there's no one like him in Rome as he speaks about Timothy. And maybe you've had somebody in your life that you've poured into that you would say, there's been no one like him. I'll be honest with you, as an individual pastor, there's been no one like Rob. There's been no one more teachable and trainable than when I discipled Rob. Could your leader say that about you? Can your missional home community leader say that about you? Can the team or the ministry or the mission team that you're on, could they say that about you? That's what he's saying about Timothy. And here's the problem. I think a lot of times what stands in front of us being able to be these kind of disciples is we live and we acknowledge and we accept the busyness of our lives. And the busyness of our lives of of living life the way that we want to creates a fatigue. We get fatigued. We're too tired. We're spiritually drained. We don't have a perseverance. So when my son says, you like guys that look like they could win a fight. No, I think that, that Jesus is saying, men and women, come follow me and let's build the stamina. Let's separate ourselves at times from the world. Though we are in it, we are not of it. And as you come forward and as you make disciplined choices, as you continue to see that this is a battle, as you continue to move forward with Jesus that you would see that this will cost you, and this is a disciplined life. And he's saying, it takes a stamina. You cannot be fatigued. There's a perseverance that goes here, not a preservation of your life. That it's only done through the power that God has for you, but you must understand and study and pray and meditate on the purposes that He has for your life and the way that He wants to deploy you into mission. 
And the other one is, I think, the two main hurdles for us to live this way as we look at, as we look at Timothy is, one, we're fatigued and we're tired all of the time. We do not have a strength. I'll tell you right now, if I was to go skateboarding with those guys again, I was really tired. In order for me to keep up with them, I would have to have a stamina. I did not tell him to walk in with a skateboard right now as the illustration, okay? Everybody's like, wow, that's perfect timing. Or if I was to work out with Elaine, Elaine is, is uh, the workout guru. And if I was to be with her, I'd be like, hey, this quarter mile has been incredible, and she's got 10 more miles in her mind or whatever, or we're going to do the P90X, and I'm just like, no more stamina. I think that's what we're talking about. I think he's going, hey, who's going to get up and roll on this? I'll tell you what, nobody's like Timothy. He keeps moving forward. Now, we got Paul, and we go, you know what? This is a message about people like Paul or my pastor. They're crazy. They light their hair on fire. They risk everything. They sell everything. They do all these crazy things for Jesus because that's their special spot. No, Timothy's a much more chill, laid-back guy. He was raised really by his mama and his grandmama who were believers, right? And his dad gave him a good education because there was a Greek background. And he's from uh, Galatia, Lystra, Lystra, right? So he's from this area. It's a good area. It's kind of from the burbs. He's a little bit more chill. But if you're saying, who else lights their hair on fire? Chill dudes can too. Chill women can. It's not all about the big, loud, obnoxious, big mouths. This is about everybody coming forward and moving into this life that God has for them. And we see that in Timothy. But you know what Timothy doesn't have? Timothy's not once going, you know what? My dad gave me this heritage, and I love what my grandma and my mom gave me, my faith. But, uh, you know, I'm entitled to some things. Never once in the letters is he saying, uh, here's the difference about Timothy. He's saying, not only is he got stamina, he's not fatigued, He's not worried about himself. He's definitely, he definitely loves the church. But he's also saying this. He's never writing something like, you know, Timothy's cool, but Timothy doesn't want to do a lot of work. I'm going to keep using Elaine as my, my illustration here. If she said, do you really want to work out? Do you really want to get into good shape? Do you really want stamina? And I said, well, yeah, I deserve to be in good shape. I don't really want to do the work for it, but I deserve it. Can you just start telling everybody that I'm really fit? Wouldn't that be easier? I'll watch the videos. I'll watch P90X. But I don't necessarily want to do that stuff. I could even tell you how to work out if you want me to. I could even complain about the way you work out. Maybe that'll make me feel better. Well, aren't I entitled to that? See, that's physical, right? Spiritually, he says, this guy does the work. This guy gets poured into and responds. This guy disciplines himself his whole life in order to be useful to God. But he doesn't sit there and say, you know, I deserve to be a leader. You know what? Both these guys that he's speaking of, he is sending them back to the church of Philippians. 
He's sending them back to Philippi. They're waiting on their orders. They're willing to be used. In fact, here's the picture he has. When he sends them back, he's saying, hey, when you receive these guys, when they come home, it's kind of the way we see people coming back from the Middle East. Have you ever seen Marines get off the plane and see those guys walking after they've completed pieces of the mission or completed what was asked of them, regardless of what everybody else thinks about it, no matter about the murmuring or the grumbling or the way that we would treat them? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever heard that? Doesn't compare to what happens when you come home in heaven after you've warriored, after you've been a brother and a sister in this faithful fight for freedom for others. When you see that in the airport, you see two people come together and you see them hug and you see them cry. And you know it's going to be a great day when in that living room, wherever they live, and get to talk and break it down and come back into the embrace of each other. That's what the church is supposed to be. Every week, though, where we go out and we go, hey, come home. We're all coming home to this worship time because we're saying, I battled here. This is where my brother showed up. This is where my sister showed up. This is where stamina was. This is where I got rebuked on my entitlement. This is where I got uh, trained here. This is who poured into me here. And then when we all come home, there's a reason for this because we're battling on mission every single week in 2010 in our city and in our jobs and in our places. But we don't walk around smug going, I got all the answers. No, we walk humbly before our God going, I'm in partnership with you, God, and with each other, and we want to move forward in bringing the kingdom of God to this city here in Portland, the city within the city. What do you say about that? And God says, yes, I love that, and I love you. And we together in this love, this powerful love, will change this city. We will change this neighborhood. I guarantee you right now, if you ever doubt it, go ask people in this town, this area, this 12,500 people group of Portland, do they notice what God does in this church? He, they do. Because of God. That's right. I was talking about you earlier. Yeah, right before you came in. I was talking about... I was talking about going to heroin houses looking for you. Well, you need your family. You don't get to drift. You have to... We're glad we're here. You're here. I want to pray for you right now, Greg. Lord God, um, you love uh, you love us, and you love Greg, and you love you have a great love for us, Lord. And um, sometimes we put that on us, and we think it's something that's a tribute to to us, as though we garnered that or we worked and we received your favor, but you love your children um, that are unmerited. You love us all. You're not asking for us to be a particular way for us to be loved. And so, God, I just ask that you would continue to permeate uh, Greg's heart and secure his heart in yourself, and that you would cleanse his body, that you would continue to regenerate him. I just thank you, Lord God, for his life. I thank you that he uh, does proclaim your word that he is with um, his friends and uh, wanting desperately to shine your light. And so, God, I just thank you for 
uh, today. I thank you that the partnership is available to every person, no matter where we're at. That this isn't about just the one-of-a-kind Timothy or Epaphroditus. It is about all of us moving forward and networking together to accomplish your will. And Lord, we just ask that when we die, that it was for your gain, that it was for your glory, and uh, that the statement that our lives make, that we pray, God, that, uh, that Greg's life will continue to, to receive um, strength and power that is of you, that is greater than anything. And we love you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, note takers, uh, I just want to write a few things for Timothy and then we'll go on to Epaphroditus and then we'll close this out. Uh, the one thing about Timothy is that one, him and Paul had the same spirit and that was found in their relationship through the father-son type of relationship that they had and that they were, uh, they were selfless. Two, three, they were single-minded Go back and read this. And four, that he's tested and proven. He even at one point says, you know Timothy, you know the way he is. He's a known commodity. And five, that he served with me. And six, he served as a son. I wanted to read you another message that I got just yesterday. This is about somebody here in this community. And he said this. And this is about all of us being developed. Because we're... We're all not these one-of-a-kind Timothys, are we? He says this, I've been reading uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. There's a chapter about a wounded heart. And after having our talk the other week, I started to see my own brokenness, the feeling of being distant from my own father, the need for a father, and the knowledge that I'm a capable man. If it was okay with you and the elders, I want to move forward. He's speaking spiritually. He says, is, is there something more I need to do to prepare myself? I appreciate all that you've done for me. You've always been such an encouragement in my life, pushing me forward. Thank you so much. This is what it's about, is us pushing each other forward, not in a brutal way, not in a rude way, not in a harsh way, but in a loving way. And so in verse 25 to 30, we look at Epaphroditus. And this guy's known as a loving gambler, that he throws all aside, that he's a balanced and burdened and blessed man for the people that he loves. He was sent with gifts from the church of Philippi to the prison where Paul was. So he sent was sent with monetary gifts to Paul. He stayed with Paul. And Paul says this of him. He says, this, this brother is a warrior. This guy's risking his life. This guy is a brother. I have brotherly affection for him. Sometimes we look at the church and we're like, are, is this real brothers and sisters? And are we really battling together through our own sin and through the sin of, that we have as a community? Are we bearing the sins of our friends who do not yet believe? This isn't some office relationship. He's never once going, you know, I really like Timothy because he puts in extra hours at the office. He's such a great servant of Christ Jesus. I really like talking to him around the water cooler. 
This is living life. So when Paul's in despair and they send Timothy and Epaphroditus, these people are sitting with them. And then he also says this about Epaphroditus. I, I was sent to bring money to you, but this is what his character is. Epaphroditus is a behind-the-scenes type guy and supports Paul. What he does is he's a caring support. He's the one that gets behind a leader and says, you are our leader. I bring this, this money to you. And then Paul says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Stay here for a little bit while I'm going to write the letter. And this letter was then sent back from Paul in prison. And so he's serving as a messenger, right? He's somebody who brings the Word. But he's also, he becomes a minister. So he finds out, and I want to ask you this today. Like Epaphroditus, can you begin to minister in the place that you are at? Maybe you're like, my heart's for Philippi. My heart's for California. My heart's for New York City. My heart's for some other place. But while you are here, can this be your place that you would support and that you would be used and that you would minister? And that's who he is. He says, this is who the guy is. So he gives all this commendation to Timothy and says, receive Timothy. He's a one of a kind. You already know about him. He's down. He gets the gospel. And then he says, Epaphroditus, this is who this guy is. I want you to receive him because he's a brother. He's a worker. He's a servant. That's who this guy is. He's a minister. But he says this to them because there's honor in that day. He says, don't mistake me sending him back because because he's not useful or that he's weak to me. Yeah, you heard that he was sick and you began to worry for him and he too was worried that he could not be with you. In fact, the word is in our scriptures, distressed. Do you know the other time that it's used in the Bible? This word distress is used with Jesus in Gethsemane before he dies. As Jesus is taking on all of our sin, the, ki- the kind of sickness that Epaphroditus had is he's enduring the sin of his brothers. He's enduring their condition. Paul is saying, I'm sending these guys to you because I want you guys to grow spiritually. Do you know that we receive people into this community because God wants us to grow spiritually. We, we receive strength from one another. We receive strength from other places. And we too get to send other people. But each week, we not only send people to, to Baltimore and a bunch of other cities I looked at today, probably 10 other cities that we've sent other people to to be a strength and an encouragement to them. But we do it every week. We're sent and we come back. We're sent. So we're gather and we scatter. It's just like breathing, right? <gasps> and, we, and then we exhale. We exhale out and God breathes us in and he, he, he puts his pneuma, his ruach, his power, his word the Holy Spirit in us, and then we go out and be that strength. Can you imagine only doing this? <gasps> I'm going to continue to inhale. I want everything in here. Spiritually, he's saying it's got to go. <gasps> from the nostril, from, from God's mouth into the man's nostrils is how it starts, right? life. But let us have that rhythm of going back and forth, whether we're a brother, a worker, a soldier, or a priest. Okay. These are some statements that I'm actually going to read to you. I just wrote down, servanthood is sacrificial serving. God saves and we serve. And there's two questions I want to ask you. Are the lives that God saved 
these lives in here, are they engaged sacrificially in service to him? So you have to ask yourself, are you sacrificially in service to him? Not on your terms or how you like it, but is it costing you? And how is the Lord prompting us to partner further in mission? Are you further in Christ's community culture here at Red Sea, or are you running? And you know if you're running. You even know if you're running from particular people in the community. If you're running from particular communities within the community. God says, look at the patterns of these men. You have a bold and fearless Paul. You have a quiet and devoted Tim. You have a diligent, behind-the-scenes worker in Epaphrodites. There's no limits to serving God. But all of these men, they risked their health. They risked their own freedom. And they risked their lives. So how do we begin? We give our life away. We put it all on the line. Warren will remember this story. A couple years ago, I got to be with a man who was dying of cancer. He was coming up on 60 years old. And Epaphroditus is called the gambler because he puts it all on the line and he risks for God. Even though he's a behind-the-scenes guy, he's not looking for any glamour. When you look through the Bible, and I looked through the Bible for more things than Epaphroditus, he's not known for planting a particular church. He's not a famous preacher. He's not an apostle. He's the guy behind the scenes 100%. But he had a heart for these people. But he's known as the gambler. And you know that his ministry was so powerful in his day that 60, 80, 120 years later, there was a ministry called the Gamblers. They were Christ followers called the gamblers. And what it meant is the gamblers would be the ones who would risk their lives because they would go to villages and places where there was disease and sick people. And they would go into very dark places because other people wouldn't be willing to risk their lives. And they would go there knowing that maybe they would go there one time and die. But the gamblers were a community of people that followed Jesus and would do special assignment and would go and do the crazy recon stuff. And so, Epaphrodites, the gambler, puts it all on the line. And the other, a couple years ago, I was with a man who was dying and his life was decaying right before us. And I would visit him once a week for the last three weeks of his life. And he was a man that, that I used to hang out with his sons and, and, uh, and his, his nephews and nieces. And when, they, when he came to me, he says, I want Sean to come here. And he didn't care about Jesus Christ at that time. And his name was Harry. Harry Trout. And Harry Trout sat there and he withered away and as he became like 80 pounds, I sat with him and I said, Harry, why do you keep asking for me to come here? You heard the message. You've heard what I've had to say. I've read these scriptures to you. And on three days before Harry died, he said to me, he said, I'm all in. I wanted you to come this time because I wanted to say it to you. I want you to know that I'm all in. See, Jesus Christ is not a gamble. We think we're gambling. We think that we're risking because we care about this world. We're holding tight to our lives here. And Jesus showed us that He is the stake that guarantees it is no risk. I want to read one last scripture, one scripture to you in 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then we'll close out. I'd like the musicians to come up as we read this. 
how do we begin is that we give a little bit away at a time. And so some of us are like, I'm not ready to give my whole life away. I'm not ready to do that. I don't know how to do that. That's fine. Either we're the disciples, either we're many of us in this room, we're all working through this. We're starting to understand that God's requiring more and more. And, and, and it's true. God is saying, I want your whole life. And we're all still trying to negotiate that. And, and some of us are even in sin in that. But we have to confess that sin and repent of that. And God says, start to give your life away. That's what today's message is about. If you just slept through the whole thing, is give it away. Start by giving it away. And you'll see that as you're broken and you're poured out, you'll be amazed at what God does before you and the way that He grows this beautiful uh, kingdom right before our eyes. And it's so much more powerful and mind-blowing. I've said this a million times, but when God asked Sean and Daisy to start a church in the middle of our living room, when we see you come in here and start gathering and as we partner up, it blows my mind to say, one yes, one yes, creates a church one yes from you will create another believer and then that'll multiply it it won't be just addition one more yes out of you fills this seat and this seat and this seat all of these seats everybody knows i get crazy every once in a while i won't get too crazy okay calming down jesus are you crazy you're going to die for us. Oh, Jesus, don't say you'll die. We want you to build the human kingdom. We want you to kick the Romans' rear endos. Please don't say, oh, hush, Jesus. Don't say you're going to die. Oh, that's too hard. Don't say it's about your flesh and blood. Um, we, that's too dramatic. That's too radical. See, really, that's the voice of us Americans going, oh, please, no. Oh, no, no, no. Not just the chairs, the other things you said. Who cares about those chairs? You're asking me to get radical. How could you ask me to die? Because God asked His only begotten Son to die. Because Jesus, and Paul says this, I could have you know, done this out of the Gospels, but Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, Listen to this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is verse 23 of chapter 11 of Corinthians. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. He's saying, self-examine. Understand where you're at. Don't do this cheaply. Don't be guilty of profaning this. This is not just some uh, weekly ritual. This is the demonstration of God dying for us. He's saying, remember this until Jesus comes, until that morning star gets brighter. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I got this a month ago from New York City. Hey, Sean, just wanted to thank you for sending David and Ruth our way. They are delightful. The community was anointed by God to help them settle in. One member was able to help David get a teaching job right off the bat. Ruth has been meeting and connecting with a number of the women. They're great young leaders and a testament to your ministry. Thanks again, bro. Let me know if you're ever in this area. One young couple goes to New York and becomes broken, poured out. Others, when they receive them, broken, poured out. When we see the Savior and we come here and we say, examine my heart. Am I willing to be broken and poured out? Do I love you, God, so much? This was our first question, right? Do you love God so much that you would die for the welfare of others in Christ Jesus? And we say this, We looked at three servants today. We looked at Paul, a radical guy. We looked at a more laid-back guy in Timothy. And then we looked at Epaphroditus. We looked at a guy who's behind the scenes, all advancing the Gospel. And that's what we've seen through chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Philippians. Advancing and partnering in the Gospel to bring the light of the world and to hold steady the Word of life to this world and to our neighbors. But this is what it costs us to be broken and poured out like the Savior, like Paul, like Timothy, willing to risk their lives because they so loved the others. And what did it bring? You hear all this rejoicing and coming home, going back and forth. When this is over, when you're done remembering Jesus' sacrifice for you and you're done living your sacrifice, when you come home, what will the welcome be from your Father? When you come to this table, will you reimagine what God has for you. See, we want to come to the banquet table because we know God has forgiveness for us. So many people want to come to the table, but very few want to go into the harvest. He was broken and poured out for us while He was on mission, while He was in the middle of the harvest. Do we love God so much that we would die for others? That is the work of Christ. That is the last verse of today's Scripture. Let us come to this table and speak to our Lord and confess and repent where we're unwilling to be stretched, where we're so Americana and we're so consuming and we're so entitled and we're so fatigued by these schedules that we no longer find time to be broken and poured out in the ways that God has for us. Let us come with humility because of the One who was broken and poured out for us. Let us self-examine where He is and where we're not and ask Him through the Holy Spirit to merge and to empower us to walk this mission. There is a lot 
of work to be done. There are a lot of people that God wants us to go see. The beginning of the sermon, I prayed that, and I thanked God that we were once rebels and can now worship. How thankful are we? I think our thankfulness should translate into working and doing the work of Christ together, not apart from each other, nor apart from Him. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I just thank You. I thank You for the people that we've been able to send and receive. And the brothers, not that can just win a fight, but the brothers and sisters who can strive and stand with You and in Your name for Your fame and for Your glory. That we're here to be spent completely by being like our Savior, a seed that dies so that others would receive so that others would benefit, so that others would rejoice. Let us be the one of a kind. Let us be a community of one of a kind. And what that means, Lord, is that know that we're not like Timothy in being one of a kind, but we're one of a kind like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we become like Him, a reflection to this world, an illumination to those who are searching and seeking. That we would have the guts and the courage and the boldness to say, Lord, break us of our sin. Break us of of our indulgences. Continue to take down our fatigue and our entitlements, Lord. Let us move forward together. Let us look upon one another and rejoice each Sunday in, in the work that was done throughout the week where we saw our God where when we sacrifice, God gave us all the more, a hundredfold. And so, Lord, we just know that You have so much more joy for us and that You have so much more development and discipling into us. Help us to be diligent servants as these three men of character that were tied geographically, but were mostly tied to You. Entirely tied to their faith and their love of You. They develop bonds of working and father-son relationships. Help us to, to have those bonds, but those are a byproduct of being in a true relationship with you. Help us to be in father-son and father-daughter relationships with you, God. Help us to see the demonstration that sending your son meant and how it's changed the world. Help us to be community changers. Help us to be a community that's being changed. Help us to be humble when we come to participate in communion. And help us to not only receive forgiveness and encouragement and strength in celebrating the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection, that we're no longer afraid to die for you, that we believe in the power of the resurrection, that when we would not only come to your table and sit at your banquet that you've provided for us, but that we would work and partner in the name of Jesus every day of our living lives. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.